welcome everybody to the Resilient Leadership Podcast, where everything we talk about is aimed at helping you to lead with a greater sense of calm, clarity, and conviction, even in the midst of disruptive change. My name is Bridget Tyre, and I am joined by the wonderful Irvin Nugent, as always, my colleague and my partner and friend. And Irvin, how the heck are you? I am doing well. You know, if we're 2024 and getting ready, getting ready. I'm, I'm doing a lot of work around uh, of a new initiative I just launched just before Christmas around Source, a integration of non-traditional leadership experience in Ireland. So I've been promoting Ooh. that. So I invite people to, if they want to find out more, uh, sourceexperience.info. We'll get you there. Yeah. So, you know, uh, things are going well. And I'm excited about today's episode. So, Bridget, why don't you share with our listeners a little bit about what we're going to talk about and break apart today? Yeah. Well, the title of today's episode is The Art and Science of Failing Forward. Mm. I must say, I had a little trepidation about picking this as a topic. Because let's be real, who wants to sit around and talk (laughs) at length about failure? (laughs) Raise your hand. Nobody's raising their hand. Uh, Yeah. Mm. But I was inspired, I think, to do it because really, I wanted to learn something about this. Mm. I don't know about you, Irvin, but in my coaching conversations, occasionally this topic of failing or failure will come up and it's a bit tricky. Mm. Sometimes people have a real aversion to it. And I, I have to admit, you know, I'm one of those people who hasn't always had the best relationship to failure. I think I have an aversion to the notion. So I thought, well, maybe there's something here for me to learn. Yeah. And so that's really why I wanted us to delve into it. Now, I also got further inspired when I came across this quote from Henry Ford. And what he said is, failure is simply the opportunity to begin anew, this time more intelligently. Mm. So that's what we're really after, right? Is is not just failing, obviously, but failing forward in such a way that we move into the future with greater wisdom and insight. Mm. All right. Now, I shared a little bit about my aversion to the notion of failure. And I'm just curious, Irvin, how would you characterize your relationship with failures? Is it something you have become really comfortable with, or do you find yourself still holding it at arm's length, or what? So I would say I my baseline is that I ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> and I move on. I have, I, I have this ability, really, I don't want to reflect upon it. I don't want to dwell upon it. Now, I, I've shared before with listeners, I am the optimist, and that's a great thing to have. However, one of the areas that optimism can get you into trouble with is that you aren't willing to sit and dwell with perhaps things that haven't worked out. And I have a tendency to move on just a little too quickly <laughs> to the next adventure without kind of really maybe teasing out what are the lessons. And so I think an advantage is that I'm resilient. I kind of get up quickly, but maybe a disadvantage is perhaps I'm not teasing out everything that could have been learned from the experience. Interesting. I can see mm. that about you for sure. That optimism. Okay, let's just dust ourselves off and move forward, right? Yep. 
Okay. Yep. I get that. All right. Now, what about your clients? I'm, I'm curious, mm. does failing or failure come up from time to time? And what have you noticed with your, with your clients? You know, it's interesting. So I, I think there are some clients a little bit like me, but you know, more often than not, I see in some clients the opposite. And that is that the fear of failure actually leads to some paralysis, mm. that it prevents a decision that needs to be made. So sometimes when you explore situations that are stagnant a little bit, and um, when you uncover it, it's a decision that hasn't been made. And when you uncover that, it's a little bit of fear of failure. What if it doesn't work out? And that goes from everything from a new program or that has to be launched or even like a conversation that should have happened that mm-hmm. hasn't happened. And if you dig a little deeper in that, why didn't that happen? Clients will say to you, well, what if it all goes wrong? What if it blows up? And, and it's this fear that the, the conversation will work, it'll fail. And so sometimes uh, I think more often than not, what I hear is it's a stumbling block to really moving forward. Mm. Yeah, I, I concur. I see that, especially around the difficult conversations. You know, people have this entire narrative in their head about how badly that conversation might go. So they avoid it. And yeah. that's yeah. kind of a classic example of avoiding failure. Yeah. So it's not an easy thing to grapple with, is it? No. And I think, you know, we, we got to face the fact that if you are a leader <laughs> and you think you'll never fail, then you're in the wrong position because part of leadership really is the reality that sometimes you are going to have to face failure at work. And whether it's your own failure, whether it's your teams, whether it's an employee that you're managing. So let's start there, maybe, Bridget, and explore a little bit, you know, how are leadership and failure linked? Well, boy, are they linked. You know, in a previous episode, and I think it's one of the ones that has been downloaded the most, we talked about strategies for dealing with resistance and sabotage and Mm. how it's a sign, it can be a sign that you're doing something right as a leader. You know, that was Ed Friedman who taught us that resistance and sabotage are part and parcel of a leader's job. And it shows in many ways that they're on the right track. And I would say, let's frame failure in the same way, at least Mm. failing forward, failing intelligently, right, is a sign that you are doing something right as a leader. Mm. Yeah. And so it's in your job description. And we've said this before, Mm. but like, you know, nobody would sign up for leadership jobs if they actually saw the real description, (laughs) which said, you will be faced with sabotage. It will be Mm. very lonely. And you're going to fail. Oh, no, yeah. don't think I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. So it is an inherent part of leadership, yes. But let's get a little bit more specific, like how so. We have talked before on this podcast about that one of the core dimensions of being a resilient leader is leading with conviction. That's an essential part of a leader's job. And we define it in this specific way. It is the willingness to act boldly, to take tough stands, and to take risks, even when doing so makes you vulnerable to failure and ridicule. Yeah. So there you go, right? Yeah. Yep. And I don't see any way around it, you know, especially in a VUCA world. We've talked about VUCA many times, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. 
leaders have to be bold. They have to innovate. They got to try new things or they become quickly irrelevant. So this makes us vulnerable to failure. And the good news is, is that when we take risks and we move outside of our comfort zone, we're doing something that is to be applauded. And Mm. there is just absolutely no guarantee that it will go the way we want every time. I'm thinking of a client that I worked with not that long ago who took a bold move. He decided, he volunteered to give a presentation to the entire company. And this, he was relatively young, hadn't done extensive presenting, certainly not to 300 people, because that's how many people he was going to be presenting to. But he volunteered because he wanted to challenge himself. On the day of his presentation, his nerves got the better of him. And he Mm -hmm. ended up kind of fumbling and losing his place. He just really didn't. When we talked about it, you know, it really put a dent in his confidence. And yet, the fact that he made that bold decision to volunteer to me told me everything I needed to know about this this uh, client of mine that he's he was going to do well if he could fail forward, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Irvin, what about you? Like, I know this is a bit of a tricky question, but can you think of a time when you acted boldly or you took a risk and it didn't pan out? It didn't go the way you hoped. There's one that does in a former job of mine, and we were doing a launching a program, and it was a nonprofit, so we brought it to the board. The board were very divided on it, but half the board said, yeah, proceed very enthusiastically, and the other half of the board were equally enthusiastically and saying, no, this is not going to work out. It's not the right time. And, you know, so you're faced with a decision there, you know, and I suppose the safest choice would have been not to go because nothing ventured, nothing risked, et cetera. And I decided actually, no, I really believe in my heart, it's the right time. So we launched the program and it did not go down well. It wasn't a total disaster, but it certainly, you know, was not what we expected. And I just knew, you know, the next board meeting where there would be at least half the board saying, we told you so. Yeah. And it it happened, you know, and I, I still, that was tough. It was a painful, it was painful. It felt bad. In hindsight, a year later, there were some really critical lessons we learned from that and we relaunched and it was a very successful program, which mm-hmm. impacted people's lives. So, but I think, you know, that tough decision, that risk, that, that willingness to own a decision and to know that the buck stops with you is very tough. Mm-hmm. You really have to put yourself on the line. You know, there's a yeah. whole book called Leadership on the Line, which I think is a great title. And your example, you put yourself out there. And it was painful. And it was painful for my client who put himself out there. And I think that's what we have to acknowledge is that while failing and hopefully failing forward is painful in this part and parcel of the leader's job, maybe there's room for some compassion here because it's Mm. tough, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I think it would be interesting to share with the listeners some of the neuroscience behind what happens in our brains and in our nervous systems, when we experience failing, because I think it'll shed some light on why it's so darn painful. Yeah. So it's really interesting you say that because like, I think that that was one of the situations I thought about whenever I was kind of beginning kind of my real interest in neuroscience and looking at it. And kind of one of the things that I uncovered, you know, was that when we feel failure, how the brain interprets that and 
really deals with it is in many ways the same parts of the brain that actually react to physical pain. So this emotional pain at times, this emotional pain of failure, it's just feeling like physical pain. So that is why it actually feels so painful. So from the brain's perspective, they're both the same. So an emotional failure is physical failure. And in fact, just to reemphasize that, another incredible study is that uh, people who'd experienced social rejection you know, by one or two groups, we're put in a control group. So we, we had this control group experiment. One group were given a placebo. The other were given Tylenol for three days for every day. And what was amazing was the ones that took Tylenol reported that they felt less pain than the ones who had just taken the placebo. And they'd done all the brain scans and they, they impact. So that's amazing. You know, when we feel physical pain, we say, oh, I need to take a Tylenol. You know, that'll help me. We never really think of that, you know, well, I'm feeling emotional. Let me take a Tylenol. And the Tylenol actually helped. Now, this is not to say, people, that we are saying to you every time you feel, take Tylenol. But it's really to emphasize how amazing the brain is and why failure is so painful for us. It's actually physically painful for us. So Bridget, what does that provoke within you? Oh, just a lot of compassion. (laughs) You know, it's like the brain just decided we'll have the same neural network for pain, whether it's physical or emotional. It's just very, you know, and I just think that, you know, in the examples that we shared earlier, me with my client and you with that program that you launched, when failure is visible, Oh man, that I think is where the pain goes up because not only are we dealing with our own disappointment, but we're also feeling like we're in a fishbowl and we're feeling the disappointment, you know, of the other human beings who have seen us fail. So it just engenders for me a lot of compassion. And I think that's something we can do as leaders is to remember this and have not only compassion for ourselves, but for the people on our teams and in our organizations who are experiencing a disappointment or a failure, right? They're, they're literally experiencing physical pain. Mm. But now I'm thinking from what I've read, Irvin, that there's two other areas of the brain that get triggered yep. in experience. It's the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex, which I think is very interesting. So what do you yeah. have to say about that? So you may be aware, you know, we've mentioned the amygdala in the past. The amygdala is this small little apricot or not apricot, but uh, almond sized part of the brain at the base. And, and it really, it is involved in our processing of emotions. And also it's the part of the brain that helps us survive because it's the one that drives the flight, fight or flight response. And what happens when we feel threat? And of course, when you think about it, you know, failure is a threat, you know, it's a social threat. It may not kill us, but we feel it, you know, like, well, I, I don't want the shame or, or whatever of threat. And so our amygdala very often can get activated. And therefore that, when you think about it, you know, when you feel under threat, what are some of the behaviors, the thoughts, the feelings you have? You become defensive. Um, we want to protect ourselves. And so it can be blaming others or, or ignoring what's happening. So when you think about it, when we feel threat, the amygdala can lead us into some of these patterns of behaviors, which really are not helpful. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things we said, you know, what can make a 
a failure, really something that's rich for us in the future is learning from it. Mm -hmm. But the amygdala actually prevents that learning because we go into this defensive mode or or the blaming mode, et cetera. It's not my fault. I had nothing to do with it. And so we just need to be aware of that when when we're in the amygdala. And then the second one he talked about is the prefrontal cortex. And we know that this part of the brain is really responsible for executive functions, you know, problem solving and planning and decision making and imagining, you know, kind of what could be future possibilities. And so therefore, it's very good. You think, oh, yes, this is a great part of the brain to be activated because we're going to learn a lot about this experience. But also, if we're not mindful, this part of the brain as well can get us into trouble because perhaps what we're doing is catastrophizing. We're spinning a tail that's not quite accurate. And that's not helpful as well. So the first part, you know, the amygdala can drive us to a denial almost or a blaming. And the second one can actually drive us to thinking about a situation that's not that uh, accurate. And really, we don't learn as well. So therefore, it's really important that to give ourselves space and time when we're feeling, and perhaps the first feeling that comes is maybe not accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. How does that resonate with you, Bridget? I find that really helpful. You know, if I am feeling defensive because something I've tried hasn't gone well, and I find myself protecting myself and operating out of fear, maybe blaming others or blaming it on something, I, I can understand that my amygdala is in charge there. And mm-hmm. maybe some good walks and some centering will kind of calm mm-hmm. down that that part of my my brain that has decided to you know treat this as a five alarm situation right mm-hmm. and yeah, then the yeah, yeah. frontal cortex like boy isn't it interesting that it can go either way it's a great thing that our prefrontal cortex is activated in failing because that's the very part of our brain that will help us dissect it and analyze it and learn from it unless it has decided because the amygdala is fired up to get yeah. into catastrophizing about future things that haven't happened. So there's um, there's lessons there. I think I find really valuable, right? Absolutely, yes. Okay, so so really interesting, right? So failing and failing intelligently is part of a leader's job, and nevertheless, it is painful. And from a neuroscience point of view, we understand why, and mm-hmm. we have some clues as to how to work with our brain. But you know, we haven't done yet, Urban, is we haven't really defined or described what does failing intelligently look like for a Hmm. leader. So let's do that. And I don't know, I think a way that might be kind of fun to do it or interesting, shall I say, is I'm going to share a story. And I got permission from this person who happens to be my daughter-in-law. Shout out to Regan Tyre who launched a business and it didn't work out. So I, I asked her if I could share her story. And Irvin, I'm just curious as I, because you haven't heard this story. Mm-hmm. When I share it, what, what do you hear in terms yes. of the specifics around failing intelligently? Yep. Okay, so here's what happened. A few years ago, she, for the first time, launched her own business. And it was in an area that she was very passionate about. And as is the case with Regan, she puts her whole self into whatever she tries. And so she was all about it. And she worked hard and she did all of the right things in many respects. And it involved putting herself out there on social media to advertise 
And it involved, obviously it was a risk, but even running of the business, there were all these junctures at which she had to take risks and face rejection, which, you know, was, it's not easy. Mm. And what happened is after about a year in, she had to come to the painful conclusion that it wasn't working and she had to close up shop. Mm. She did share with me that at first she felt some shame around this. And I think that's interesting that, she, that those are her words, not mine. You know, she also felt so badly that she disappointed her clients and she couldn't serve them anymore because she was closing up shop. And yet, you know, what she did is she pivoted. She gathered her resolve and she learned a couple of things that she shared with me. I mean, one is she said, um, this, this business was done completely virtually and, and I am a people person. So one of the Mm. things I learned is whatever I do next, I need to be more engaged with people. Mm -hmm. And she also learned that the whole reason she started this business and the part she found most fulfilling was that she was helping people. Mm. And so she said, that's my non-negotiable. I know this now about myself. So how the story ends is that she pivots, she gets another job for a couple of years that she does get out more. She's helping people. And then guess what? She gathers her courage and she started another business. And she is in the midst of running that business now. And she has learned and applied her learning to this new business. One of the biggest things she said she has noticed is that she faces the inevitable rejection in the sales process with a thicker skin now because she's learned that no means no for now, but not necessarily no forever. Mm, love that. And, and by the way, just, just as a shout out to her, she started the business with, with my son. They, they work it together and it's called Aluma Films, A-L-U-M-A Films. If anybody knows anybody who's getting married, they are uh, wedding videographers hmm. and they produce gorgeous films. Nice. So that's, I think, a, I don't know, it's an interesting story. And I'm so curious to hear what did you hear in that about failing forward? Well, coming off last episode, one of the things that I really appreciate is the willingness to explore and be honest about the feelings and emotions she was having. And yet she didn't over-identify with them. You know, shame is a really insidious emotion that we have. Well, it's really not just one emotion. It's a number of things coming together. One of the things with shame is it can really overwhelm us. And it can at times drive people, you know, shame that, that they are. They personalize it. So what she was able to do in time was to say, you know, the business failed. That doesn't mean I'm a failure. Okay. And I think that's difficult at times. It's, it's hard not to personalize and say, you know, I'm a failure here. And it's like, no, the, this project was a failure. And so that ability to separate, I think, was really important. And then the other thing is because of that separation was that she learned some really important things about herself which was key. And I I just love that. You know, we we started with this quote, you know, failure is simply an opportunity to begin again, only this time more intelligently. And and it was just like, you know, hey, this is my my core ability, my secret superpower. We talked about our superpower. One of my superpowers is my ability to connect and relate with people. And here I am 
setting myself up where that's not part of the equation. So I love that, that that ability to kind of once again revisit what did I learn from this, this, this project that failed, and yet I was able to learn and redo it again. So that's what strikes me. What, what strikes, what stands out for you? Well, definitely both of the things that you just shared right on the money. I also was struck by how she accepted responsibility. Mm -hmm. You know, she did not try to deflect this. I don't think I ever heard her say, well, if only this had been different, like if the market conditions had been different or if I'd gotten more support or, you know, if only this other person would have done X, Y, and Z. No, no, no. It was just, Mm -hmm. you know, a kind of a, an inner, quietness that she went about doing this. I think we crave leaders who accept responsibility. I agree. And stand tall in the midst of something not working out. So that struck me. And then the courage to start again. Mm. You know, she she had had an experience of, of failing, but because she fell forward, I think that helped her to take the risk yet again, knowing that it too might not work out. And yet, hey, she dealt with it the first time. She would deal with it again if that happened. And uh, so far, so good, you know? Love it. So, Irvin, for you, I know, you know, having coached many, many leaders, inevitably you have worked with somebody who's in a leadership position who demonstrated failing intelligently, I'm guessing. This does an example. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and here I take one that's, it's, um, so, so far we've dealt with ex- examples that, that I think there was something big on the line, like a business, a program. But I also think, you know, going back to the whole thing of how the brain, you know, we're social beings. And so one of the pains that comes from perhaps failure is failing socially. And a, a leader comes to mind who was in, he had a team around him. And just the, the team really didn't talk to each other. And he wanted to really improve that. He, he wanted to try and have some cohesion, et cetera. And I remember him saying to me, he said, you know, I'm just going to take this risk. I, I, I'm just going to do, take five minutes at the beginning of the meeting. And I'm just going to, you know, have a question, a little sharing time. I just need to move the needle. And you'd think that's not a big risk. You know, it's just, and, and it totally fell flat. I said, it was like crickets. <laughs> and then he said, but I'm going to keep it up. And he did it the next time. And he did it actually four weeks in a row and eventually got people to begin to share and to talk. And I thought, you know, you know, on the face of it, that might not seem like a big risk. It might not seem a huge failure, but it really, you know, it was the persistence, the honesty to realize it may take a longer time. I'm willing to fail. I'm willing to to suffer the crickets around the room in this greater cause. And I just thought that was a great example of persistence and a willingness to fail, not just once, but twice, but three times before it actually, you know, took hold and it, he moved the needle a little bit. Oh, that is such a beautiful example. And I'm sure our listeners can relate to that because you're right. Sometimes the failures are big and visible, but oh, we take small social risks, you know, often. Yes. And sometimes yes. they, they really fall flat. flat. Totally. Those can be painful too, but the persistence, yeah. you know, as I was listening to that, I was remembering one of my experiences with failing. You know, I've written, co-written two books, but let me tell you, my writing career did not start out on a positive note. Oh. Many, many years ago, many years ago, I was sort of writing a draft, if you will, of a book about parenthood based on my own experience. 
And one of my friends got hold of it and thought it was fantastic. And she's like, you really should turn this into a book. And she knew an editor who worked for a publisher. And she said, can I send her this draft? Which she did. And the editor ripped it to shreds. (laughs) And (laughs) she did. (laughs) And one of her comments, which lives on in infinity for me, was this is a very sappy treatment of parenthood. You need some real stuff in here. Okay. So now why am I sharing that? Because guess what I did? Did I persist? No. I said, I'm not going to do that. I don't think I'm a writer. And I just sort of quietly closed it. Now I did finish it as a, a journal for my family, but there was just no way I was ready to, in the midst of that kind of critical feedback, Mm. go forward with it. So I didn't fail forward. However, I guess ultimately I did because I've mm-hmm. since co-written two books, right? So, Sounds like it to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess we have to end with some kind of a core yeah, practice. Yeah. Uh, like we always try and end with some form of practice. What, what do you think, Bridge? Have you got a practice that comes to mind? Well, I do. And it's about adopting a growth mindset towards Hmm. failure. I think a lot of our listeners have probably heard of, you know, growth mindset because it got so popular. It's a a, a term coined by the psychologist, Carol, is it Dweck? Is that, do you know? Yeah. 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 And, you know, there's the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. And what her research is a psychologist revealed is that people who have a growth mindset believe that their talents and their abilities can be improved over time with hard work and intentionality, those with a fixed mindset tend to believe that their talents, everybody's talents are innate gifts. So, you you know, there's no real improvement of them. And and we're all somewhere in between. Nobody's got a perfect growth mindset or a perfect fixed mindset. But when it comes to failing, I think bringing a growth mindset can really help us. And so let me get more specific about like, what that look like, right? From a leadership point of view. And so I'm going to suggest three things. And one is to appropriately encourage risk-taking in your organization with your words and with your actions that, you Mm. know, you demonstrate a willingness for people to be bold and to take risks and you do it yourself. You lead by example. That's number one. And you do it because of number two, which is that you reward employees for the important lessons learned, even when a project or an initiative doesn't reach its objectives. That's the big one. That's where the growth mindset comes in. It's like, you know that a risk doesn't always work out. You encourage it nonetheless with your words and your actions, and then you reward employees And you give, you create the space for those lessons learned to be shared, to be articulated and so forth. And number three, this might be the hardest part, is gracefully admitting your own errors and mistakes when you've played a role in something that has not gone according to plan, that you are out front and center, standing tall, and you're not blaming others and you're not getting defensive. That's the practice. What do you think, Gerber? Oh, I love that. Yeah, I, I think such a wise approach and a space to put ourselves whenever we are dealing with 
either failure or anticipating a risk, you know, and, and failure as well. Oh, I love that. Very, very nice. Well, Bridget, this has been a really wonderful conversation. has got me thinking about moments of failures and lessons learned. We've covered, you know, a little bit of the neuroscience and really why feeling feels so bad because it's like physical pain. And then we've also, you know, thought about how do we feel intelligently? What does it look like feeling forward? Thank you for sharing the story. Thank you for your for the willingness, you know, of your son and daughter-in-law to share their experience because I think that was such a rich story and the really the lessons coming out of that of not having to own those emotions, being responsible and really learning the lessons and and finally this this lovely a growth mindset around it. So I think, you know, we, we, leadership entails failure and it is not the pretty part of leadership and it's tough. And so hopefully I know many of our listeners today, um, there are either you're going through a failure at the moment or you're maybe worried about something that may be failing. And hopefully this will give you some inspiration and some guidance about how to really pick out the lessons from that. So thanks so much, Bridget. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Irvin. Again, I learned something really important for myself and a reminder for all of us that leadership, this is another quote from Ed Freeman, leadership is not for the faint of heart. Ain't that the truth? And yet we all do have within us the resourcefulness to fail forward. So thanks again, Irvin. And to our listeners, as always, thank you for being on this journey with us. Take care. Bye now, everyone. <laughs>